Welcome to this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. I'm Tim Grady, and I'm here with my co-host, Lou Weiss. We've been having some fun pre-show with Dr. Chris Keel, who joins us to talk about the flagship reports. Uh, Dr. Keel, Chris, welcome to another episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio and the flagship report. Uh, you're so welcome, and we'll talk about the flagship and anything else economic that seems to occur. So a little bit freewheeling, because gosh, we never do that. That's right, and we certainly want to know, because I just read through your ACES report, I read through I... the flagship report, and I, I see or sense dark clouds forming. Well... You know, I do a lot of speaking and I do a lot of talks around the country. And for the last several weeks, I've been kind of characterizing them as talking people off a ledge because we're, <laughs> we're, we're dealing with recession threats that are very contingent. And one of the things we keep trying to point out in the flagship and in the ACES is that we're not in the kind of circumstance we were in 2008. In 2008, 2007, what was going to give us a recession happened, and we knew it was happening, and there's nothing we could do about it. The banking system collapsed. You had the credit markets freeze up. We know why. The subprime crisis, all of it was quite predictable. This time, we're dealing with a recession possibility that is primarily based on what we think the Fed will do in response to inflation. And despite all the political nonsense trying to blame this person or that person for inflation, we know exactly where inflation has come from. Unfortunately, the things that are driving it, neither one of them are in anybody's control outside of China and Russia. So we're dealing with an energy crisis that's been provoked by sanctions imposed on Russia because of the Ukraine war. We all know that drill. We also are dealing with inflation that's been triggered by the supply chain crisis in China. So all of the analysts are looking at this going, okay, if we keep having these problems, there's going to be a reaction, and that reaction is going to slow the economy down, and we will be entering a recession. But then as soon as they say that, they'll come back and say, yeah, but if either one of these things changes, then we're fine. And a lot of the indicators that would suggest that we are heading for an, a recession haven't appeared. You know, it's not that they won't, but the jobs report came in very strong last week, and you don't see hiring when you expect a recession. It's kind of like, hi, I think there's going to be a huge downturn next year, so I'm going to hire 100 new people. You don't <laughs> do that. You lay people off. If you are expecting a recession, you don't increase capital spending, but that's what's been happening. I just today finished the FFJSCR, which is the quarterly study that the fabricators and manufacturers do of their members, over 60% are on target for capital spending. Over 70% are hiring. And that's not, in, that's not recession behavior. 56% said they're expecting a good year this year and an even better year in 23. Those are all very encouraging. But at the other end of the spectrum, 92% said, yeah, logistics costs are out of control. They're higher than we've ever seen them. 
material costs are out of control. Steel is up, aluminum is up, everything is up. And so they're reacting saying things are going well, except for all the things we have to pay for. So if it wasn't for the fact that we were paying these high prices, it'd be great, but we are paying these high prices. <laughs> so we're not sure. So how about that? I mean, economists are famous for predicting 13 of the last three recessions, and, and we still have that record. Fred, now if I am the uh, individual who has to deliver this material to the officer of the watch, I am the messenger, should I expect to get shot? You know, I think I think what it's frustrating, but it's it's realistic. And as we talk to a lot of the organizations and the manufacturers, I mean they're they're well aware of the fact that they're in the, the grips of things over which they have no control. About all that they can do at this point is have contingency plans, which obviously every company has to have in, in place all the time. But as I talk to these groups, it's like, literally, we have two plans. We have plan A, which is none of this changes and inflation continues to be a problem and we end up facing downturn. Contingency two, plan B, is that these do begin to work out and we start to see a reduction in prices. I mean, even just looking today, we know that the energy prices have been determining a lot of the inflationary threat. Per barrel price fell to 90 bucks. It's been up around 120, 125, and it's fallen. And why is it falling? Well, it's falling partly because many of the world's oil producers are gearing up. They've decided that this is a crisis that's lasted long enough. Biden is on his way to Saudi Arabia, and that is expected to yield concessions. Otherwise, he wouldn't go. I mean, no world leader is going to show up someplace and have them tell him, no, <laughs> I don't like you. Go away. This has been arranged already, you know, so he'll he'll go and they'll say, OK, we're going to step up production. We could go into gory detail as to why the Saudis are changing their mind. But one of the things that we have done is make nice with some of their competitors. And the big change in the last couple of weeks is Gutter is now developing the largest gas field in the world they will become the second largest natural gas producer behind the United States. All of a sudden, gutter is more important than the Saudis when it comes to natural gas. And we've basically told the Saudi Arabians that either you work with us or we start to work a lot more with the UAE and Bahrain and gutter and Kuwait. And you remember, they don't like you very much. <laughs> at, the end, at the end of the day, I mean, you listen to the commentary and it's like, okay, which would you rather be like in the Middle East? Do you want to be like Dubai or Riyadh? And I've been telling people, if you want to see the contrast, tune in this fall to the Housewives of Dubai. It's coming to a TV screen near you. <laughs> and if you want to see ostentatious wealth on display, this is your show. Um, and it will give you a entirely different perspective of the Middle East. And everyone in these countries is like, oh, I want to be like that. You know, I, I, I don't want to be like Riyadh where women can't drive. 
in in Housewives of Dubai, this woman was complaining because she only had five Ferraris. <laughs> you know, I, I I have to say something uh, contrary to our, our normal discussion. Chris, you're incredible. You you lay out stuff in such a humorous way that. You could almost be like Bill Maher of the economic world. Well, so, my goal in life is to be Ben Stein. You know, I mean, it's like that's that's my hero. I want to go from manufacturing talk radio to Ferris Bueller's Day Off too. Um, so that's. <laughs> well, you're a hundred percent right. I mean, there are things that are going on in this world that we just don't we don't get we don't understand. And uh, it's just, we're just continuing on to this flow of what could happen, might happen, may not happen, and so on. I mean, it's very frustrating. Companies don't like uncertainty. They don't like not knowing. They can prepare if they know what's coming. You know, I mean, even if you go back to the 2008 recession, as brutal as that was, as deep as it was, we at least knew what had happened. You know, we knew that the crisis was rooted in the banking system. Companies were then able to start reacting. Didn't mean that they were going to be able to solve their problems, but at least they knew what the problem was. And certain things grew out of that crisis. I mean, one of the factors that's playing a role now, the Fed tries to control inflation with interest rate hikes, which isn't particularly effective when you've got the kind of inflation we have now. But beyond that, because of 2008, we had the development of the shadow banking system. And the shadow banking system pays no attention to interest rates because as sinister as that sounds, all it means is that there are other sources of money. So if you're a corporation and the banks are tightening, you're like, oh, I don't care. I'll borrow from an insurance company. I'll borrow from a venture fund. I'll borrow from an emerging market fund. I'll go with an angel investor. There's all this other money, which came into existence because of the collapse of the banks in 2008. And so now the central banks are like, well, we can raise rates, but if somebody wants to get access to money, they'll just say, oh, okay, <laughs> you're not loaning me money at a good rate. He is. I can go to them. And so it's 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 more diverse, um, but it also means it's harder to control. And and we're particularly Americans are frustrated over things we can't control. And other cultures just kind of shrug their shoulders and say, "I've not been able to control anything since I was born. So why would now be any different?" <laughs> so, so uh, so where do you think that we're going with all this? I think that we are going to see two things in the end of this year going into 2023, uh, three things maybe. Number one, we're going to see sector recessions. We're going to see certain parts of the economy that will definitely feel the hit. Retail will probably feel it in general. You may see even a little bit on, on the hospitality travel side. Many of the manufacturing sectors probably won't see recession. They'll see a slowdown in certain sectors. But for example, we are talking about the strategic intelligence system. The data that we're collecting is showing automotive growing. It's showing aerospace growing. 
it's even showing a little bit of growth in electronics. Um, we'll probably see substantial growth in computer stuff, data centers, that kind of stuff. By the time we get into 2023, you'll start to see this turnaround because a lot of the the immediate issues will start to work themselves out. Um, when it comes to oil, for example, even if we're still sanctioning Russia, production is increasing all over the world. We're hitting records next year. The supply chain out of China is still a question, but the Chinese are getting very frustrated with what it's doing to their economy. And even though they keep locking down, it's an increasingly unpopular move, which is triggering leadership issues in China. That could suddenly reverse. And once that happens, you begin to see an awful lot more activity in the United States. Right now, we're getting a lot of imports because the dollar is so strong. So you combine that dollar strength with opening up China again, and there's a lot of stuff flooding into the U.S., so even as consumers are dealing with inflation, they'll see cheaper imported goods coming in. Jim? Chris, what is back going you, on? <laughs> yeah, back to me. What's going on in Europe? I guess what I'm reading about Europe is they're a little softer than we right. are. Yeah, they're definitely going to hit a recession. In some respects, they're already there. Um, and... Obviously, they're a lot more sensitive to the energy situation than we are. I mean, we're getting hit with energy inflation indirectly. They're getting hit with it directly because we don't buy anything from Russia. We have not imported oil or gas or anything from Russia for years. The Europeans, however, import a lot from Russia. It is still the number one source of natural gas into Germany. It's the number one source into Italy. Um, so they have felt this acutely and there are no alternatives really for them. So you've got very definite recession. Britain is already in a recession. Uh, it is not going to be coming out of it anytime soon. Uh, there's now a leadership vacuum now that Boris Johnson has resigned. The arguments within the Conservative Party are turning really nasty. Um, I think at last count, there are 735 people who are trying to become prime minister. Um, so, you know, it's like I, I've gotten to the point that if you are British, you apparently are running for prime minister, um, no matter where you are. So it's a little on the confusing side. And you've just got a lot more vulnerabilities that could actually in some respects benefit us manufacturers because the competitors in europe are going to be at a disadvantage to a degree um you're also seeing a lot of, of movement out of asia 95 percent of ceos that do business now in china are actively looking for a new sourcing location much of that will end up staying in Asia, Vietnam, Malaysia, Indonesia, elsewhere. But some of it comes back to the United States. Um, some of it is going to Africa. Africa is now becoming, Africa has been compared to China 25 years ago. So it's got about the same population China had then, 90, 
are something like half the population is under the age of 30. They're mostly educated. They're now urbanized. So certain African states are going to start picking up some of that production too. Chris, I just want to talk uh, to our audience just for a moment about these two reports. One's called ACES. The other mm -hmm. is the flagship report. They are uh, a subscription-based. And if you come and listen to the show at our website, go to jacketmediaco.com and click on the Manufacturing Talk Radio icon. Sorry, the flagship reports icon. And go down below the shows and you'll find links to those. I've been through these reports. You just reformatted the ACES report. It's, it's become a very smooth read. I just want to encourage our audience to go there. And Chris, maybe you can give a little background on, yeah. on how these yeah. came to be. Yeah, I'll talk about that. The flagship is really a combination of two publications we used to do. I used to write something called the Business Intelligence Brief, and my business partner wrote a thing called the Black Owl Report for about four or five years. And then one day we were looking at each other going, why are we writing two separate publications when we write about the same thing and we're partners? Um, so we thought it would make sense to combine them. Um, we're a little slow, but we eventually figure it out. So the flagship comes out Monday, Wednesday, Friday. It is basically an economic report. I mostly write the global stuff. My partner tends to write more the domestic stuff, but we switch back and forth periodically. It's designed to be a pretty quick read. Uh, it's five or six, seven pages some days. And it is available for the whopping price of $7 a month, which I figured out is the cost of a Starbucks caramel macchiato. Um, so if you can go without one of those a month, um, you too can get the flagship. The strategic intelligence system is something we developed a couple of years ago. And we have been really impressed with the accuracy of this thing. It was developed and designed by one of our partner organizations, which is run by a retired lieutenant colonel who used to be in the artillery in the military. And he pointed out that in his previous job, accuracy was really, really important. Um, and he continues to apply that rigor uh, to the, the ACES. We have been able to pull 96, 95, 97% accuracy month to month. We can go out two or three quarters and, and have a pretty accurate run of where things are going to go because we're watching just a mind-numbing number of variables, 17 or 18 variables, and we track which of these has the biggest impact on that sector. We focus exclusively on industrial production as defined by the Fed. So it's automotive, it's aerospace, it's machinery, primary metals, fab metals, electronics, computers, that which is contained in their industrial data. And that pretty much covers the, the manufacturing waterfront. You mentioned that we streamlined it. We had been producing a document that only an economist could love because it was just chock full of graphs and charts. And it was just like, it was just, so we thought, you know, we need mm. to put this together so that real people can understand it. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it's now a lot more condensed and smooth. And we just invite people to say, if you have further questions, just ask <laughs> rather than try to anticipate them all. And it's, what's the it's, ACES cost? 
The ASUS is we've rejiggered it as well. We're now selling it in both a full version and modules. So if you're only really interested in the automotive sector, you can just buy that module. If you're interested in the whole thing, then you can get the whole thing. And it's like 44 bucks a month for the whole thing. And it's like seven or eight bucks a month for just the module. So it's, it's very price sensitive. It's designed so people can get a look at it and we do free trials and all that stuff. So before you actually decide to give up your caramel macchiato, you can take a look at it for a month and say, yep, this is worth it. Is that a drink? <laughs> well, it, it, it is. I, I think if you figure it up by the calorie count, it would be your meal for a week. Um, <laughs> so. Right. Oh, that's great. So we've watched China going through its difficulties and their purchasing managers index is hovering a little above, a little below 50. Uh, they've got the BA5 variant that's now plaguing them and they're considering more lockdowns. Where are they headed, Chris? Like, because I think the manufacturers in the U.S. are concerned, you know, do I fool with China at all at this point? Yeah, a lot of companies are hedging their bets and trying to move to a degree out of China. I mean, they're not going to abandon it altogether for all kinds of obvious reasons. But if they can, they're diversifying and moving to other locations, even just as backups. Without getting into too much gory detail, this is turning into a leadership issue in China. And there's a lot of, of concern within the upper leadership about the lockdowns and the way China has handled COVID. Li Keqiang is the premier in China. He's considered the number two man in China. He wants to be the number one man. He would have been the number one man when Wen Jiabao and Hu Jintao retired, but all kinds of political reasons he got passed over. He would love to unseat Xi. And one of the ways that he's attacking Xi, and he's doing it in the Chinese media very publicly, so he's got support within the Chinese leadership, he's basically saying this technique, as far as dealing with the pandemic, is a failure. It is ruining the economy, it is causing us to lose speed and growth, and it's not doing anything to control the disease. It doesn't control that way. Omicron does not respond to this kind of, of attack. We've known that everybody else in the world figured that out. So it, there's this push to abandon that attack and move back to full production in China. But there's resistance to this. As you mentioned, the BA5 variant is now sweeping through China. China made itself very vulnerable by sticking to a vaccine that doesn't work um, and simply not taking the same approach that most other countries did. Most countries realized that the most vulnerable population was the elderly. And so you tried to make sure they were protected. China did not. And China has a large elderly population. When you break down the numbers and you start to see who's been falling victim to COVID, it's the elderly. And so their numbers are very high because A, it's an elderly society, and B, they didn't protect that population very well. So they're grappling with all of this stuff. Meanwhile, the congestion in their ports is, is horrendous. I mean, they've got hundreds of container ships that are stuck, each container ship holding two, three, four thousand containers. 
one of the concerns is that if China does start to move back to normal production, that wave of ships is going to hit the U.S. all at exactly the same time and will overwhelm our ports. And the retailers already have been dealing with uh, the fallout of a broken supply chain. Walmart and Target and all the rest were complaining that one of the reasons they've got so much inventory that's stuck is that it got there too late. So the spring merchandise showed up three months after spring started. So it's like, okay, we've got the garden supplies. It's in July. It's too late. <laughs> you know, if you put something in the ground now, you might as well just step on it because it's not going to grow. Um, and But it's like, but we just got it like yesterday. Well, you know, so, yeah. and they're, they're afraid they're going <laughs> to... <laughs> they're also expecting to get their Christmas stuff sometime in February, which is, you know, um, going to be a problem. <laughs> I want to circle back to Africa because we have a writer who contributes a section to our monthly manufacturing outlook easing called Africa Outlook. This month is called e-commerce outlook because it involves both mm -hmm. Africa and South America getting really involved in e-commerce. Africa is apparently to the US kind of a hidden gem that we're not mining. It's very true because there's a lot of opportunity in Africa. It's it's really described as the Wild West right now. It is a place where you can make a lot of money or lose a lot of money. It's very relationship driven. If you're going to do business there, you better know the people you work with very well. But you've got a lot of advantages that, again, are similar to what China went through. For example, there's no continent on the planet that is more connected to sort of, of, of banking on your phone than Africa because they've just skipped past all the other technologies to go straight to the modern one. You know, why bother with ATMs and all that stuff when you can do it over your phone? And the technology is making tremendous strides. Not every country is participating, but you see things like Ghana has had a tremendously close relationship with IKEA for years. An awful lot of the furniture that's produced is produced in Ghana. Botswana is one of the most stable countries in Southern Africa. It's a cattle country, uh, very, very heavily involved with agriculture. And I have to tell one goofy story, which will illustrate how strange this is with Botswana. Botswana has had a program with Kansas State University for years because they send students to K-State to study agriculture. The largest K-State alumni association in the world is in Habarone, Botswana. It's an enormous blue and white bar that's in the middle of the city, full of wildcat stuff. They pipe in all the basketball games, all the football games. You walk into the place and people are asking you questions about, so how are things in Wamego, Kansas? And you're like, people in Kansas don't know where Wamego is, <laughs> but they do in Botswana because they've been there. Um, so <laughs> you all of a sudden have this these bizarre connections and it's a country that's had five straight peaceful elections and all the rest of that stuff then you end up looking at countries like tanzania and, and rwanda and it's just there's pockets where there's tremendous 
growth going on education was a focus for africa for decades but now they've got to find jobs for the people they educated what are they going to do with transportation i, I know that when you look at a an operation in africa in a country you've got to get it to a port and over yep. to the u.s yep. I, and, and india had a lot of problems with this originally because their road system just couldn't support export and the manufacturing Absolutely. hubs were very inland yeah exactly africa? and africa has a little bit of an advantage in that respect but only because the growing countries the one thing they'll all have in con in common they're on the coast so you don't see a lot of that growth in the internal part of africa the only advantage that exists there that did not really exist in india is that when the colonial powers were there they built rail systems that would take stuff from the interior to the coast so the transportation is more between countries they don't have good systems to get from one to the other but they've got good systems to get from where a particular thing is produced to the port because everything was designed by the colonial powers to export it's like we don't care if you people talk to each other we just want your stuff and once we get it we'll put it on a train and take it to the port and take it to europe and if you get to know each other well that's swell but we don't care um so well it'd be interesting to see how this develops because they have a uh a direct path to our east coast oh yeah very definitely and and it's and it's something that if you are an early adopter, I mean, anybody that got involved with China 20 years ago, it was scary. I mean, it was it was seat of your pants, you know, who am I working with? How am I going to work with this? Nothing is the way it's supposed to be. And now it's all very sophisticated. But those old China hands that got through that 20 years ago could probably give some advice on how to deal with Africa now. I can certainly bet they would. Chris, I want to thank you for your time and joining us. Uh, you're a busy guy. You, you do a, a, over 100 conferences a year. Uh, you write voluminous amounts of information to push out to, to your uh, clients and also reports that we benefit from. So I just want to thank you for joining us again uh, on the flagship reports. You're so welcome. And, you know, it just helps not to have a life. You know, it's like when, when you don't really have <laughs> anything else to do you might as well work so what the heck well you may as well work and be an economist that's right that's right you know i mean right. it's it's you've got to be in a in a field the two most popular fields in the world have to be economics and meteorology because you can be wrong every day and people don't care um they listen to you anyway so, <laughs> so uh, just as a final note i will get you a commodore's hat for your next show, because I think it would be very appropriate. And you can wear it, you can take it off, you can throw it to, into the water, whatever you want to do. I want one of those Greek fisherman hats. I mean, that's, that's you know. <laughs> you, don't look, you don't look particularly Greek. But that, that being that, said, that's uh, true. Uh, thank you for being on our show. Thank you for your input, your humor, and all of your input uh as to what's going on in our world as it is today you're and then so we'll welcome worry about we'll worry about tomorrow yeah tomorrow, tomorrow. yeah well, like, no like they say manana manana, yeah. manana. <laughs> manana. <laughs> very right, good thank, 
Thank, Thank you, you guys. Take care, everybody. And I want to encourage everyone to go to jacketmediaco.com where you will find the icon for the flagship reports. Visit that page. You can find the reports that we're talking about and subscribe to them. And as always, thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.